Happy Easter, everybody. Great to see you. Uh, great to be together with you. Thanks so much for making River Glen part of your Easter weekend. I know we have many guests with us, and we're just delighted. We are just thrilled to have you here with us. If you're new, River Glen, we don't really have a lot of uh, traditions, but I actually want to begin with something that is a tradition in many churches around the world on Easter weekend, and uh, maybe some of you are familiar with it. I'm going to need your help with it. It's called the Paschal Greeting, and it goes like this. I'll say, Christ is risen, and you respond by saying, he is risen indeed, with a lot of Easter enthusiasm, all right? So let's give this a try. Ready? Christ is risen. He is risen Very good. Nice job. Let's do that again, and I want the children in kid life to hear us. All right? Christ is risen. He is risen nice. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? Jesus is risen from the dead. Death could not hold him down. What happened many, many years ago on Friday was not the end, but the resurrection, life overcoming death, had the final say. It's a great story. But here's my question. Do you believe it? Do you believe that it really happened? Uh, maybe you've noticed that uh, Jesus gets a lot, a lot of coverage this time of, the, uh, this time of the year. He's in a lot of articles in news magazines. You'll see Jesus on the cover of a lot of news magazines. He's on network television. Recently, three television networks, major networks, were all in Morocco filming documentaries about Jesus. CNN was there filming Finding Jesus, National Geographic Channel was, was, was filming Killing Jesus, and NBC was there filming AD. The story continues. They were all in Morocco uh, sharing adjoining sets, and, and every once in a while they would all get a day off. One of the actors said that uh, it was kind of weird when all the actors would get a, a day off and they're all hanging around the hotel. And he said there would be 36 disciples around the swimming pool and three different Jesuses at the bar in the uh, hotel. So it can be a little confusing this time of the year. And uh, there's a lot of interest in Jesus and uh, a lot of interest in the Easter story. It's a great story. They make movies about it. But did it really happen? And do you uh, believe it? Or do you see it more like, more as a story that we like? And it gets passed on from generation to, to generation. And we really, we'd like to hear it, especially uh, uh, today. But did it really happen? And the reason we wonder about this is because we know truth has a way of, of uh, history has a way of rewriting itself. We see this happen with a lot of stories from the past. The truth about what actually happened gets blurred with fables o o over time. For example, you know, there are many people that think Jack and Rose were actually on the Titanic. And uh, sorry to burst your romantic bu bubble if, if you thought uh, that was true. Or if we look at actual history, many people, if you were to ask, what is the biggest fire ever in the history of our country? Most people are going to tell you the Chicago fire because of this song about Mrs. O'Leary, that somebody just made this up about her cow kicking over a lantern, started the great Chicago fire. But in reality, the biggest fire in the history of our country by far happened here in Wisconsin. The, uh, the Peshtigo fire of 1871, a million and a half acres burned down, thousands of people killed. But the Peshtigo fire is often called the forgotten fire because sometimes history gets blurred by fables and, and, and songs and movies. Or how about Michael Jordan, maybe the greatest basketball player to ever play uh, the game. Those of you that are coaches or parents, you know, your kid doesn't get picked for the team or it doesn't do very well, and maybe, maybe you've said this, hey, Michael Jordan didn't make his high school basketball team. I've said that. 
but it's not really true. Yeah, when he was a sophomore, he didn't make the varsity team, but he played on the JV team, and he was a superstar. Sometimes truth gets blurred over time with fable. But what about the resurrection story? Did it really happen? Do you believe it? Now, I've been doing this long enough to know that even lifelong followers of Jesus sometimes struggle with this belief. And if I were to pull some of you aside and ask you, do you believe it? You know, some of you would say, yeah, I believe it. And if I said, why? you go, hmm, maybe shrug your shoulders. Do you know why you believe? Others of you might say, nah, I don't think it really happened. Definitely not the way Christians say that it happened. And maybe some of us here are kind of in between, and we would say, does it really matter if it actually happened, if it was figurative or, 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 or literal, it's a, an inspiring story? Does it matter if it really happened? Well, I want to say up front that what you believe about the resurrection of Jesus absolutely matters. In fact, I think it matters more than we can even imagine. And it's not just me. The Apostle Paul makes the same point in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, if Christ has not has not been raised, then your faith is useless. Notice this strong language he uses, this word useless. Do you know what the word useless means in the original language of the New Testament, the Koine Greek? It means useless. It's just useless. Yeah, think about this. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, that means he's still in the grave. And if Jesus is still in the grave, then Jesus had to submit to, give in to, succumb to the power of death. And if Jesus had to submit to, give in to, succumb to the power of death, how's he going to help any of us overcome death? And if there's no way for me to overcome the power of death, then why go on? Author Leo Tolstoy put it this way. He said, my question that brought me to the verge of suicide was the simplest of questions lying in the soul of every man, a question without the answer to which one cannot live. And here's the question. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting does not destroy? Sounds pretty hopeless, doesn't it? But if Christ didn't overcome death, then none of us are going to overcome death. And so there's no hope. Our life is like a peppermint candy that just lasts for a while and then dissolves and is gone. And so we're just running out the clock, waiting for the buzzer to go off. Game over. We're done. End of story. And Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then everything that we're doing here today is just a big old waste of time. You know, the songs, this is kind of like a pep rally, and there's not even a game. Caring for one another, loving one another, it's just putting off the inevitable. It's useless. Starting more new churches, serving needs in the community, reaching, reaching new people, it's just useless. It's all a big waste of time because if Christ is still in the grave, here's the fact that we have to accept, then God is not powerful like he claims to be. And if God is not powerful, then he cannot deliver on the promises that he's made to us. And so why would I trust him? Why would I even believe that he loves me or even cares about me? Because if Christ is not raised, then God is not in control of the universe. God doesn't have the ability to work everything out for, for good. God doesn't know how to deal with evil. And when it comes to matters of life and death, if Christ is still in the grave, then there's nothing after cancer, nothing after Alzheimer's, nothing after the funeral or the burial. You're never going to see your loved ones ever again because there's nothing any one of us can do, nothing even God himself can do if Christ is in the grave. That's why Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is, is useless. 
aren't you glad you came to church today to hear such an uplifting, encouraging uh, message? Let's just take a deep breath, all right? And uh, hang with me. It's going to get better. I promise it's going to get better because what if, what if the lungs of Jesus that stopped breathing suddenly started breathing again? What if the heart of Jesus that stopped beating suddenly started beating again? What if Jesus really did come back from the grave? That changes everything. Today, I want you to see that if we take a closer look at the resurrection, what we find is a story that is unbelievably believable. Unbelievably believable. First of all, we can confidently believe in the resurrection because real people witnessed it. Real people wrote about it. Real people believed it. We have four historical accounts of the resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote biographies about Jesus. They researched and believed and wrote about Jesus and his resurrection based on eyewitnesses. Just, for, just to give you some perspective, let's consider Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, a very prominent historical figure. But we don't have a single existing biography of his life written within 400 years of when he lived. And yet, I don't know anybody who has difficulty believing in Alexander the Great. Well, for Jesus, we've got four accounts, four biographies based on eyewitnesses written within a generation of when he lived on this earth. And not just four accounts. If we go on in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, the risen Jesus was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And then if we continue on, after that, he was seen by how, how many? 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. 500 people walking around saying, it's not a fable. I saw the risen Jesus with my own eyes. And Paul even gets a little bit cocky here. And he says, many of them are alive. You go. You ask those people about Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, then he was seen by uh, James and later by all the apostles. Now, this is interesting. Anybody know who James was? Yeah, the brother of Jesus. Jesus' own brother believed that he was God, believed that he had risen from the dead. I want to stop here for a moment. I want you to think about this. Last Monday was National Siblings Day. How many of you have a brother or a sister? How many of you have a, a, a sibling? Great. Let me ask you a question. Um, what would it take for me to convince you that your brother or sister was God? What would it take? Come on. Like a resurrection? Some of you are like, even that's iffy. Um, I've got two older brothers, uh, Bill and, and Jeff. They live on the West Coast. Great guys. I love them and, and uh, followers of, of Jesus. Uh, my brother, uh, Bill, here, here, here's my oldest brother, Bill. And uh, he looks like a biker, but he's actually a pastor in Seattle. And uh, he's a lot of fun. got a big personality. And I really enjoy uh, hanging out with him. But I grew up with Bill. And, you know, I know stories about Bill. And it would be difficult for me to believe that's God right there. That's uh, divine. But James, the brother of Jesus, says, I know it sounds crazy, but I believe it's true. And just to be clear, the brothers and the family of Jesus didn't always believe in him. There's an account before Jesus died where we're told that James actually sarcastically makes fun of his brother, uh, Jesus. And he doesn't believe. But now post-resurrection, James says, I believe it. Because he saw the resurrected Jesus with his own eyes. And then we've got Paul himself. Paul hated Christ's followers. He persecuted and imprisoned them. But one day on a trip, 
on the Damascus Road. He encounters the risen Jesus, and now Paul stands with those who believe. And so we've got four biographies and over 500 people claiming to have seen the risen Jesus, including Peter and James and Paul. And, we, and they wrote it down, and we have their writings today in what we call the New Testament. But let's not just think about what they said and wrote. I want you to also think about how they lived. Let's go back in time. Let's time travel back to right before the first Easter Sunday. Let's land on, on, on Saturday because we know on Friday they beat and crucified and killed Jesus. On Saturday, the dead body of Jesus is already in the uh, tomb. But what do we find happening in Jerusalem? Who do we find on Saturday in Jerusalem? First of all, we find a bunch of scared disciples. On Saturday, the men who followed Jesus were a mess. After they arrested Jesus, every single one of them ran. Every single one of them deserted Jesus. On Saturday, Peter not, had to not only deal with the fact that he ran, but he denied Jesus on three separate occasions. On Saturday, everything Jesus had said and done seemed like a lie. On Saturday, the, the, the disciples hid behind locked doors because they saw what happened to Jesus and they were afraid that they would be next. On Saturday, we've got a bunch of scared disciples. Here's what else we find in Jerusalem on Saturday. We find a group of, of sad women. Now, to the women's credit, they didn't do what the guys did. They didn't run. These women had followed Jesus and served his, his needs from the beginning of his ministry in Galilee. And they stayed with him to, until the end. As Jesus hung on the cross, they stood and watched at a distance. But they were there, devastated, brokenhearted. And on Saturday, they did the only thing they knew to do. They prepared some spices and put together a plan to anoint the dead body of Jesus the following morning. And then on that Saturday, the day before Easter, we also find a bunch of skeptical religious leaders. Religious leaders felt pleased with the death of Jesus because they could finally say, we told you so, he's dead. But interestingly, they still feel a little worried, a little bit paranoid because they remember Jesus had said, after three days, I will rise again. And so they're afraid the disciples of Jesus are somehow going to steal the body to keep the legend of Jesus alive, which is kind of ridiculous because if Jesus' followers didn't stick with him when he was alive, why would they stand with him when he was dead? But the religious leaders worried about it, and so they did everything they could to prevent anybody from taking the dead body of, of Jesus. They convinced the Romans to put a big stone in front of the tomb to seal it and to post guards to keep watch to make sure the body of Jesus stays in the, in the tomb, which is kind of funny if you think about it, because the religious leaders have more confidence in the movement of Jesus than Jesus' very own followers. And so who do we find on Saturday in Jerusalem? We find scared disciples. We find sad women and skeptical religious leaders. We find exactly what, you know, we would expect. And here's what we don't find. Anybody expecting a resurrection. Nobody expected, was expecting nobody. But on the next day, Easter Sunday, and every day after that, we see a dramatic change. All of a sudden, we find bold disciples these men who acted like cowards on Saturday suddenly discover that Jesus is alive on Sunday. And so they begin to boldly proclaim that Jesus is alive. They go out and they stand before crowds of thousands of people proclaiming that Jesus has come back from the dead. And they no longer fear the religious leaders. In fact, when the religious leaders try to clamp down on them and stop them from teaching about Jesus, look at what they say to the religious leaders. Peter and John replied to them, do you think God wants us to obey you? Rather than him, talk about being bold. 
We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. And they never stop proclaiming that Jesus is risen. Many of them gave their lives as martyrs, declaring the message that Jesus is alive. Why would they do that? How do you explain the, their, their courage when the day before they were so afraid? How do you explain their willingness to die rather than recant uh, their message? The only explanation is that the resurrection really happened. The resurrection really happened. And on that first Easter Sunday, we find rejoicing women. When they arrive at the tomb, their fear immediately turns into joy when they meet an angel who says to them, he is risen. He's not here. He's risen. Matthew tells us the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with, with what? What are they feeling here? Joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and, and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. One minute they're, they feel devastated. The next minute they feel overjoyed. And don't miss the significance of the fact that women were the first to discover that Jesus is alive. In that ancient culture, men dominated. A woman's testimony was considered unreliable. And so if you were going to make up a story that you wanted other people to believe, no way would you choose women as the first eyewitnesses. How do you explain the rejoicing women? The only explanation is that the resurrection actually uh, happened. And so we find bold disciples and, and uh, rejoicing women. And then on the first Easter, we also find frustrated religious leaders because more than anything, they wanted to prove that the resurrection was a hoax. And so if there was a body to be found, they would have found it. You know what they would have done? They would have taken that dead body of Jesus, they would have put it on a cart, and they would have pushed the dead body of Jesus through downtown Jerusalem, and we wouldn't even be here today. Or if they could have found even one person who recanted their testimony that Jesus is alive, they'd have grabbed that person, propped them up, exploited them so that everybody would hear. But none of that happened because they couldn't prove that it didn't happen. How do you explain that? The only explanation is that the resurrection really happened. The resurrection actually happened, and it changed their lives. And it not only changed their lives, it has continued to change lives. And believing the resurrection has the power to change the life of every single person here in this room. Maybe some of you walked in today feeling afraid. Maybe you're about to face circumstances and situations in your life that you never dreamed would happen. Maybe you're here because you've got a frightening week ahead of you, but the resurrection can change your life. Take a look at the, at the first words that Jesus speaks to these women after, after he walks out of the tomb. He said to them, do not be afraid. And so you can walk away from worry. You can walk away from fear because Jesus is alive and you can have confidence that everything is going to be okay. Maybe some of you walked in here today feeling sad. Maybe it was difficult for you to get out of bed this morning and just put one foot in front of another because there's, the, there's this despair, depression, deep sadness about things that maybe have been done to you or maybe things that you've done. But the resurrection can change your life, even the way that you feel right now. Uh, maybe some of us came here today skeptical. We can't help but doubt. Part of us wants to believe, but we've got this, these doubts over and over uh, again. You know what? Sooner or later, we all encounter doubt. And don't beat yourself up over that. Doubt itself is not a sin. Doubt is part 
of being a human being. And doubt can actually be your friend. Doubt can bring you closer to Jesus if you deal with your doubts. And the resurrection can help you do that. We've got a fantastic weekend coming up next month, May 20th and 21st. We've got a guest speaker coming in, Jay Warner Wallace. Jay Warner is a homicide detective in Los Angeles, California. He's a repeat guest on Dateline. They, at Dateline, they refer to him as the evidence whisperer. And he's going to share a powerful, fascinating message about evidence. That's going to help all of us deal with our doubts. Love to have you come back for that. There's an there's a, a invitation piece in the chair back in front of you. Take that with you. We've got Jay Warner's books on display available in the lobby. Stop by and, and look at those. Bring somebody with you that weekend. It's going to be a powerful, life-changing weekend. I want you to hear the story of a guy from our church named Eric. You know, when Eric came here a year ago for the first time, he walked in with fear and doubt and sadness, but then the risen Jesus changed his life. Take a look at what happened. My name's Eric. I've been attending River Glen for about a year now. My journey started um, six years ago. Um, I didn't know God, I didn't know Christ. Um, I went through one of those valleys that you hear John talk about. Um, medical issues, anxiety disorder. My wife left, I lost my business, I had no money, I was about to be homeless, um, going through bankruptcy. Very angry, very lonely, a lot, of, a lot of shadows. I just got out of bankruptcy court one day and uh, this guy comes up to me at my friend's work and he says, why are you so angry? And I, you know, I told him what I'd just been through. And he says, do you know Christ? And I said, no, I don't. And he says, uh, come to church, I'll sit by you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I uh, came to River Glen and, you know, place is huge. It's like, a, like an airport and, you know, I'm scared. <laughs> I've never flown. Um, but there's Roger, you know, at the door smiling. He, he doesn't know me, but you know, I know him. Big smile and I'm like, okay. <laughs> So, so I go to church, and you know, I listen, there's the band, and the, the band lights up a room, and I'm like, okay. And, uh, you know, they talked about Alpha class, and so, you know, I go to Alpha class, and met Don and his jokes, and met some nice people there, and, uh, you know, then they're like, join a small group. I'm like, okay, so join a small group, met John, met a lot of good people, more, more light, you know, shadows disappearing, and, uh, you know, and they're like, we got this financial class. And I'm like, oh, I need that. So started going to that. And, you know, you hear about baptism and, you know, it's about time, you know, stop, stop dipping my, my toe in the water and go all in, you know, just so focused on those, those shadows and all that darkness that it, it's time to get baptized. It's my, uh, it's a symbol. It's an outward symbol of, of, of my faith and, and the changes that have been occurring and God working in me. And at the darkest time when, you know, I didn't really believe in God, um, and, you know, I literally fell to my knees and said, you know, if you're out there, help me. Help transform me. I can't do this on my own. You know, look at all I've lost. Help me. 
and at that time he started sending people into my life. My worth is not defined by this world. My worth is defined by God. Jesus came back from the dead. And what does that prove to us? It proves that God is all-powerful and that God can be totally trusted. And so whatever you're going through because of the resurrection, you can have confidence that God loves you, that God is going to keep every single promise, and God is going to work everything out for good in your life. And so every one of us, what we need to hear and believe is resurrection. Those with cancer need to hear resurrection. Those with Alzheimer's need to hear resurrection. At the, at the funeral, at the graveside, we whisper to each other, resurrection. When we gather here on the weekends and we sing, our hearts are full of what? Resurrection. And during the week, we gather in small groups where we proclaim to each other resurrection. Because no matter what you go through in life, you know that what will triumph and have the last say is resurrection. And it's not based on a fable. It's based on the truth of a risen Savior. And that means that, that we've got love and hope and meaning and joy and purpose. I want to ask you, if you would, for a moment to stand with me and respond to the resurrection. Some of you in this room have had to endure some horrible things, some difficult uh, things. And the stench of death, it just mixes with your story. And you wonder, will there ever be healing? Will there ever be wholeness? Some of us here, all of us have done things that we regret, done some horrible things that haunt us. And the stench of death is part of our story. And we wonder, will there be forgiveness? When, when will there be healing? But here's how we know there's, there's forgiveness. Here's how we know there's, there's, there's healing. Help me out. Because he is risen. That's right. Some of us have had to deal with the death of a dream. Maybe a relationship that ended. Maybe finances crumbled. Maybe an ambition that you now know will never be realized. But there's always hope and confidence that everything is going to be okay because we know that Christ is risen. Some of us reflect back on Easter's in the past and we see smiling faces of loved ones that are no longer with us today. Maybe some of us here, we're missing a family member. Maybe we're missing a friend. But this Easter, we have confidence because what we do is we hold on to this truth. And the truth is, Christ is risen. Amen. You can be seated. If you believe that Christ is risen, here are two ways that Jesus asked you to respond. The first way, as you saw in Eric's video, is baptism. I love what Eric said. It's time to stop dipping my toe in and go all in. Baptism beautifully expresses your trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it'll give you confidence. In the last month, we've baptized over 40 people. We've already baptized a few people this weekend. And I want to let you know our baptistry is filled up, heated up. It's, it's ready to go. we got everything that you need if you'd like to be baptized after the service today. Just, just come down front um, afterward. There's no class that you have to take. Here's the only requirement. You believe in your heart that Christ is risen. If you believe that, you're ready. Because Jesus said, if you believe, I want you to respond by getting baptized. And then he says, I want you to respond by sharing communion to remind you of the sacrifice that I made for you. The communion bread reminds us of Christ's body, the 
the uh, juice represents Christ's blood that he gave on the cross out of love for everyone here. But the reason that we call it communion is because Jesus is alive. And so we can commune with him. We have community with him. We connect with him now and forever. And since Jesus invites everybody to believe in him, we have an open communion uh, here to everyone who believes. If it's new to you and you want to take a pass on it, that's, that's fine. But if you'd like to participate, just simply take the double cup out of the tray when it comes down uh, your row. Let me pray for us, and then we'll share communion. Father God, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the love demonstrated for every person here. And God, we also remember the truth that Christ is risen. And God, would you let that truth about the resurrection sink in for every one of us in this room. Let it permeate our minds and our intellects and let it just seep down into our hearts and into our souls and let it give us a confidence that you are all-powerful and a reassurance that you can be trusted that no matter what we go through in this life or the next, there is hope in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.